Good morning. The scripture this morning is from Colossians 4, 2 through 18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I, it was a kind of a lukewarm answer, I know, probably because I finally got Joey to let me come up here and preach again. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I am Jeff, one of the pastors here at Faith Church. And uh, if we haven't met before, uh, I'd love to connect with you after worship and uh, get to know you. Any of you remember the old 60s TV sitcom Gilligan's Island? Uh, if you watch me TV, it's you know you catch it pretty easily. Uh, it's a story of you know a group of would-be travelers. They think they're taking a cruise on a ship. Uh, they end up stranded on a tropical island when a storm uh, basically crashes their boat. Uh, I always kind of identified more with Gilligan, uh, just because I'm kind of clumsy, and uh, so I was always impressed with a professor though. Uh, did you ever notice, pay attention, if you know the series, all the amazing things uh, that the professor came up with? He invented a battery charger for their radio out of like a coconut and seaweed or something. <laughs> he created a, a human-powered washing machine so their clothes always looked tied fresh. Uh, he created vaccines out of algae that he found on the island. Uh, one time he even created, I think, a lie detector out of like the ship's horn and some lights and uh, who knows how it all worked. Uh, once I think he even created a helicopter made out of bamboo, uh, but that may have been a VeggieTales episode that I'm, I'm misremembering. I mean, this is an impressive guy, right? I mean, he's creative and, and hardworking and inventive and uh, dedicated. Did you ever notice the one thing he never got around to doing was fixing the hole in the boat so they could get off the island? We can be like that. 
kind of. I can get really wrapped up in to-do lists and the stuff right in front of me and day-to-day life and meetings and bills and family obligations and, and none of it's bad. In fact, it's good stuff. It's stuff that needs to happen. But do you ever wonder if the things that you're spending your time on are what really matter? Do you ever wonder if you're living for what's ultimately important? John Piper shared a story from his father's ministry. Uh, There was an old man in the town who'd had no interest in Jesus. People in the church had been praying for him for decades with no apparent effect. But one Sunday when Piper's father, who was an evangelist, uh, happened to be at that church preaching in the pulpit, he's concluding his message, the, the final hymn is playing, and this man starts coming down the aisle with tears coming down his face, and he grabs Piper's father, and, and the two of them go off to the side, and they start talking and praying as, as people are heading out after the worship service, and God amazingly opened that man's heart that day to see his need for a Savior and how God had graciously provided one in his son Jesus. But instead of rejoicing, the man was sitting at the front of church weeping and and crying, saying, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. In coming to know Jesus, his, his values, his priorities, his perspective had been changed And suddenly he realized that he had spent his entire life hurting people that he cared about, misusing the gifts that God had given him, chasing things that didn't ultimately matter, and wasting his life. If you want to come to the end of your life and and not say, I've wasted it, to be able to say, God, you used me in a way that made a difference, then we have to understand and live for God's purposes. And the good news is that there's hope and help in our passage this morning. The Apostle Paul shows us in this passage how we can live for what ultimately matters. Now, in this letter to the Colossians that we've been in for the last number of weeks, we have seen how Paul has pointed us over and over to the glory the supremacy of Jesus Christ. How Jesus is God in the flesh, how he rules over all things. We've seen the glorious new life that God gives us through faith in Christ. We've seen the glorious freedom that we have in Jesus. We've seen the glory of God's saving work in the gospel. The glorious difference that God makes in our lives as we follow him and And now we come to this final word from the Apostle in Colossians 4. If you haven't opened your Bibles, go ahead and open them in the black ESV Bible in the seat underneath you. It's page 1170. I tested the people first hour by telling them the wrong page number because I had turned to Philippians chapter 4 when I opened my Bible. But it is actually page 1170. And we're looking at this passage, Colossians 4, 2 through 18. And, And here's the setting. If you knew that your life was coming to an end, you wanted to give final instructions, final advice, a final word to your loved ones, what would you say? It would be difficult, but incredibly important. And you would want to make sure to focus on what's essential, on what will make a real difference. 
Paul is writing from prison, as he refers to two or three or four times in this letter and again in this passage. And he doesn't know exactly how that's going to work out, but he does know that the Holy Spirit has promised him that imprisonment and suffering for Christ is what's marked out for him. So he doesn't know how long he has. And he wants to leave these Christians, he wants to leave us with essentials for life and faith as we follow Jesus to live for what matters. And so in these last verses of this letter that Paul's written to the church in Colossae, I think we see three essentials, three priorities that will help us live lives that really matter, lives of glorious impact for Jesus. So let's dive in and see the first one. Paul says this, and now I've got myself lost again because I turned back to the wrong page number for what I gave the uh, people in first hour. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says to live a life of impact for Jesus, I prioritize prayer. I prioritize prayer. Paul began his letter talking about prayer, about how he prays for these Colossians with thanksgiving, how he never ceases to intercede for them. And now he finishes this letter coming back to this fundamental priority. And he says three things about prayer here. One, pray faithfully. Pray faithfully, continue steadfastly in prayer. If you have an NIV, I think it says something like, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, that doesn't mean we, we literally pray 24 hours a day and do nothing else, because obviously Paul took time to write this letter, so he's not literally doing nothing but praying. It means we are faithful in prayer because we know that we need it, and we know that it matters. Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife, used this illustration one time. Imagine you were diagnosed with a deadly illness, and you go to the doctor and And the doctor says, you will die within hours unless you take this pill every night when you go to bed. Do you think you would remember to take the pill every night? Do you think you'd ever go to bed and say, "Ah, I'm tired, it's not worth it, I don't want to get up and go take the pill now. The doctor says, if you don't take the pill, you will die. You're going to make sure that you take that pill every night before you go to sleep. Do we not need connection with our Lord and Savior even more than we need that kind of medicine? Do we see ourselves as radically, desperately dependent on God as we would be in the face of needing that medication? We would make it so crucial that we would never miss a dose of that medicine. And that's what Paul is saying about prayer for us. We are just as dependent on God to be faithful, to to recognize that we need this for ourselves. And then he says, pray watchfully, pray carefully, being watchful in it. That means wide awake. Now, if you think about it, you, you may hear an echo of what Jesus says to Peter in the garden as he's warning Peter about what's about to happen to him. Watch and pray, Jesus says, that you do not fall into temptation. John Piper says this about this passage. Prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints. You know, otherwise it's not 
press a button and you know, tell the, the maid or the servant to bring you a nice, cool glass of iced tea. It's designed as a walkie-talkie for spiritual battlefields. It's the link between active soldiers and the command headquarters that has the unlimited power and strategic wisdom that the soldiers need. Praying reminds us that we need wisdom, we need direction, we need reinforcement from God. I pray watchfully when I remember that I am living in the middle of a spiritual battle every day. I have an enemy, and you have an enemy who wants to distract, who wants to discourage, who wants to destroy if possible. And so praying watchfully means I'm going to pray that God would help me be aware of the battle that I am in every day. To pray to see and know where I am weak, where I'm going to be tempted. To pray that God would strengthen me and, and guide me and give me what I need. Pray that my life would be more aligned with God's mission and his priorities. I pray faithfully, I pray watchfully, and I pray thankfully Paul says. Pray with thanksgiving. Six times in this letter, Paul has exhorted, encouraged us to gratitude, to thanksgiving, to being reminded of all that God has given us and all that we have to be thankful for. I've never sat down to sort of count it out. It sounds like the kind of thing Joey would probably do, create a spreadsheet for it. But, but you could think about how much time I spend in prayer and how much of it is spent in thanksgiving and gratitude versus how much is spent complaining or criticizing or telling God what he needs to be doing or what's wrong. How much of our prayer ought to be thanksgiving? If Paul tells us to pray thankfully and he repeats it over and over, as the life of thanksgiving deepens, as we grow in gratitude, I think we start to see that the more mature prayers are ones of gratitude for obstacles that God has helped us overcome, for insights that we've gained, for lessons that we've learned, for situations that he's rescued us from, for increased humility, for help that he's provided, gratitude for strength to persevere, gratitude for opportunities to serve others, even gratitude for the ability to glorify him in our suffering as we follow the path of Jesus. Prayer matters, Paul is saying, and prayer makes a difference. In her book, Second Calling, Dale Burke tells a story of uh, having attended a, a Christian conference years ago, and uh, she had run into a friend named Bruce who was also at the conference, and they agreed that uh, he was going to drive her to the airport because they were leaving about the same time. And uh, just as they were about to leave, another guy who had been at the conference grabbed them and, and asked if he could get a ride to the airport with them. And they said, yeah, sure, come along, it's no problem. And, and so they're driving away from the hotel, and uh, she and Bruce asked this man uh, where he worked and uh, what he'd been doing at the conference. He mentioned working for a Christian organization. And that launched Bruce into this story. He said, wow, I have so many great memories of that organization because I attended a retreat of theirs one time, and that's where I became a Christian. I remember it was in 1972, it was in New Hampshire, and, and he went on to explain that his whole family had ended up becoming Christians as a result of his coming to faith, that his sister was serving in Bible translation ministry with Wycliffe, that, that he worked himself at a Christian publishing house, 
uh, bringing a lot of significant uh, Christian books to the public. And, and, and Bruce finishes his story on kind of this grand finale, saying that the, the retreat, if you think about it, really had a, a worldwide impact. And this other man in the car is sitting there silently, and, and Bruce and Dale are looking at each other, wondering, like, are, are we boring this guy? Is this, is this not connecting? And, and the stranger very quietly said, I led that retreat in New Hampshire. It was my first time as a conference leader, and I felt like a total failure. I thought I had made no difference, that, that it was horrible, and until this day, I thought that was the biggest failure of my life. And Dale Burke goes on to write, what had seemed like a simple act of offering a ride to a stranger had turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts whether we recognize it or not. I may not spend the rest of my life, I may spend the rest of my life doing things that, that don't seem at all to have an impact. I mean, does prayer seem like that sometimes? We pray and pray and pray for things, sometimes for people halfway across the world, and, and we never know if God is doing anything with it. But God knows the purpose, and God knows the outcome, and God knows the results, we are simply called to be faithful and to trust and believe that prayer has an impact, an eternal impact, that we may never get to understand, maybe until we get to glory. Do I pray in a way that shows I believe that prayer matters, that it makes a difference? that my prayers are having an impact for Christ simply because I'm trying to be faithful and watchful in them. Because Jesus is glorified when we pray. If nothing else, because when we're praying, we're declaring that we are dependent and that we need him and that he is God and we are not. Jesus is glorified when we pray faithfully and watchfully and thankfully. And then Paul goes on, kind of in a transition through prayer to this next priority, which is I prioritize preaching. I prioritize the presentation of the gospel, of the good news of a God who sent a Savior to us. Paul asks for prayer for himself and his partners in gospel ministry. He says, pray for us, pray for me that God would open a door for the word. Pray that I could declare the mystery of Christ and make it clear how I ought to speak. He's, he says, pray for opportunities and, and pray for ability to preach the gospel. And I think Paul is pointing out that pastors and apostles and missionaries and, and evangelists were not more important at all, but we have a special role to preach the gospel, to speak in a sense on behalf of God in worship and in pastoral ministry. It's a reminder that Joey and Tom and Nathan and I need your prayers. Would you pray for us? Do you pray for us? Pray for clear and effective preaching of the gospel, like Paul exhorts here. Pray for God to be working in us and through us. Pray, pray that God would grab people's hearts and minds through what we share, through teaching and counseling and, and visitation and leading and serving and, and all the things that happen behind the scenes, Monday through Saturday. 
Could that be a priority in your prayers? That you would pray for your pastors, pray for missionaries, pray for elders in that way. Liz Crocker has shared this several times recently on Facebook, and, and I, I'm just encouraged by when I see it week after week showing up in my newsfeed. Praying for precious friends teaching God's word. May we have listening ears and hearts that surrender. Wow, that, that's what Paul is getting at here. That we could be praying that. That would be true of us. That you, that you have a partnership in the gospel and what is being preached even now and Sunday after Sunday and in classes and in all kinds of places as you pray for the impact of the gospel through God's ministers. Oh, but, but it's not just about pastors, because we are all ministers, and we are all called to have an active part in spreading the gospel. Look at what Paul goes on to say. He calls us to be intentional, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Literally, it means to redeem the time, to buy the time back to influence others towards Christ. If God had a miracle in my life and somehow gave me unlimited wisdom or unlimited patience, or, or un, un, it would be a miracle, unlimited skill in preaching the gospel or, or unlimited insight to know what's going on in other people's lives, he could do that for you all. The one thing he will never give us is unlimited time. We have one lifespan here on earth and one opportunity to complete the mission that God has for us. I love the fact that when Don Fields passed away, he was driving to a discipleship appointment that someone he was mentoring. Wow! He made the most of the time right up until Jesus called him home. Make the most of the opportunities that God puts in front of you because they are not unlimited. And, and so wisdom here means making choices about the best and the most appropriate actions and priorities and lifestyle and attitudes and words for the sake of others seeing and coming to know Christ. It, it means being wise and sensitive to what God is doing in their lives because People all around us are going through critical moments that are opportunities for us to step into with gospel impact. A mom of one of the girls in our youth group, a really nice lady, but she'd never really been interested in church, didn't have much use for Jesus. People prayed to her faithfully. People shared the gospel with her. But finally, serious health problems got her attention, and I had the privilege of being able to go to her in a hospital room and help lead her to faith in Christ. And she left that hospital room and, and spent the last years of her life pursuing Jesus. Because a lot of people had been praying faithfully, and, and yet there was also a need to be sensitive to what God was doing throughout all those steps in the process that led her to faith. You know, it there are people around us who, who are going through relationship breakups and job losses and financial stresses. It, it can be when someone's ill, when, when their dreams have died, when, when people come to the end of their resources. When life comes crashing down, we are often humbled 
And that is often a time when people come to be sensitive to the gospel in a way they weren't before because they realize all the things that I were hoping in are not going to save me. And I need saving. Be aware and be sensitive to what God is doing in people's lives. Be intentional. But then we're also called to be attractive. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Seasoned with salt means flavorful, delightful, attractive. This is what we mean when we talk about our vision to be a community of winsome ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That we live and speak in a way that displays the beauty and the desirability and and the delightfulness of Jesus. How much of your speech is filled with the aroma of Christ, seasoned with his grace? I mean, I, I can be an evangelist for stores or websites or movies or music that I enjoy. Uh, you know, I, I advocate for politicians and parties and, and policies that I approve of, and I have no problem getting along with people who look like me and think like me and agree with the things that I think are important. But, but see, I am not the good news. I don't have life or hope for people in any of those things that are about me. The people that I meet, the people that you meet every day need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need to hear the good news of Christ. How do we develop this ability to, to speak about Jesus to, in a way that's attractive, that's delightful, that's that has this flavor of of goodness to it. I think the answer is that we spend time reminding ourselves of how good and delightful and beautiful Jesus is. Some of us who have been Christians for a long time, and it, it can be easy for us to neglect delighting in Jesus, enjoying Jesus, rejoicing, in Jesus. And then an opportunity comes along to tell someone about the good news that we found, and we realize we can't articulate why the good news is good and why Jesus is wonderful, because our taste buds have become dull. It's hard to salt your speech with the beauty of Jesus when you haven't been enjoying him yourself. And what's so wonderful about Paul's Advice and direction here is that the best way to prepare ourselves for sharing the satisfying glory of Jesus is to enjoy him yourself. To be intentional, to go through God's word and let the scriptures remind you of how good and beautiful and lovely and gentle and kind and strong and righteous and holy and awesome and praiseworthy Jesus actually is that knowing Christ is the greatest thing any of us could ever have and and that when we do that when we go out with our hearts happy and full of Jesus we will be in a position to make our speech delightful and attractive and winsome to other people we make a glorious impact for Christ when we prioritize 
the preaching, the spread of the good news of the gospel. Pray for pastors, pray for missionaries, for those who labor in the gospel. Make the preaching of the gospel a priority through intentional lives and attractive relationships that would point others to the supreme glory of Jesus. We prioritize prayer, we prioritize preaching, and we prioritize partnership. In these last 11 verses, Paul mentions 10 or 11 people. These are his partners in ministry. He encourages them, he affirms them, he recognizes them. Warren Wiersbe says that Paul names more than 100 partners through the book of Acts and the letters that he writes. There's a principle here. Christianity is a team sport. Every one of us must come to faith in Christ for ourselves, but we do not follow Christ by ourselves. Notice how the gospel creates this community that transcends all the barriers of race and class and ethnicity and background. There are Jews and Gentiles here. There are men and women here. There are, uh, there's an educated professional, a doctor, and, and there's a former slave. Because God calls people from every race and place and situation into his kingdom, and when he unites us to Jesus, he unites us to each other so that we partner together to learn from each other, to encourage one another on the mission that God has for us. As we go through some of these people, notice how they are living out the priorities that Paul has mentioned in the section that we just look at. Tychicus, we hear about him in Acts chapter 20. Paul goes to Macedonia to collect relief gifts for the poor, suffering Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And one of the guys he takes with him is Tychicus. It's a, it's a long journey. I mean, this is not like you hop on a plane and, oh, it was, you know, it was, man, 12 hours to get to Beirut and the, my knees were cramped and the airliner. And it's like, this is like wooden boats on the Mediterranean in open sea. We're talking walking by foot for miles and miles. It would take weeks to get there. What a servant, right? You want me to go with you, Paul? I'll go. And now Paul's in prison, and who's there with him? Tychicus. A lot of people will be with us for a while. But when our eyes are fixed on the mission and on the impact of Christ, we will stick with people who are on mission for Jesus through thick and thin. You want me to stay with you, Paul? I'll stay. I'll be in here in prison with you. And now Paul is sending him to Colossae as a messenger. You want me to take these letters to Colossae? You want me to encourage the people there? I'll take the letters. I'll encourage them. God did not preserve anything this man Tychicus ever said. There's no record of of anything like that. But God did preserve something about him that is significant and made an impact. Faithful service. Look at how Paul describes him. A beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant, a fellow bond servant in the Lord. Could that be said of us? And one of the things that that I love about faith church is we don't follow the 20-80 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We have 80% of the people doing 80% of the work. We have a lot of faithful, hardworking, dedicated people, and I'm so thankful for that. May that be a priority 
that lasts in your life. Because when you do that, you are making an impact for Christ. Because you're partnering with others for what Jesus loves and cares about. Onesimus is a slave to Philemon. He was a slave. Philemon was one of the leaders in the church at Colossae, but Onesimus got into trouble with his master, some kind of conflict, ran away. That is a capital offense in the Roman Empire. He is, Onesimus is a dead man. And yet, by God's grace, he ends up in Rome. He finds Paul. He's brought to faith in Christ, and his life is transformed. And, and look, Paul calls him here in this passage faithful, verse 9, the beloved brother who is one of you. Onesimus' life is transformed. Paul doesn't mention anything about his past. He doesn't point out that he's a former slave. He doesn't point out, you know, all that Paul had done in his life and, and how God had used him. It's just simply the fact that he's mentioned here a man who had no possessions, no hope, no future, with a death sentence hanging over his head, and by God's amazing grace, he is brought from death to life. He's given an inheritance. He's given a mission. He's given a purpose. He's given a family. That is a picture of God's grace. And Paul doesn't drag it out in front of Onesimus or, or the, the people in his hometown to, to point it out to them. Aren't you glad that God does not hold your past against you and rub your face in it? Just like Paul models here. Aren't you glad for God's grace? Are you helping other people grow in God's grace and pouring God's undeserved kindness into their lives? That's how you have an impact for Jesus. Aristarchus, Paul calls him a, a fellow prisoner. Here's a guy who's willing to suffer for Jesus. Aristarchus was one of the guys in Ephesus when the silversmiths are rioting because of the gospel being preached and their businesses being taken away from idol making. He's one of the guys that the people drag into the, into the, into the Colosseum to identify as you know, one of the troublemakers with Paul. And he's willing to own that. He's also on the trip to Macedonia and back to Jerusalem. And, and in Acts 27, he, we see him now on the ship going to Paul, going to Rome with Paul in prison. A riot, long journeys, storm, shipwreck, staying with Paul in prison. Aristarchus is a loyal man. Difficulty does not make him turn back. Are you a friend who sticks through thick and thin with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because there are people around you here who are going through hard times. Endurance and loyalty make an impact for Jesus because they reflect what he is like. Mark is mentioned here. You maybe know the story. At one point, Mark was traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys. It got hard. Mark quit and went. And Paul said, that's it. I'm not taking him again. So Barnabas takes him in. And trains him up and encourages him. And, and little by little, Paul starts to see that either Mark had changed or Paul had changed. But whatever has happened, now Mark is mentioned here. And he says, welcome him. Later in Paul's life, at the very end in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy saying, send Mark because he's useful to me. Wow. What a picture of how God makes a difference in our lives 
with people who have blown it. Because we have a God who, who embraces failures and transforms us and, and uses us and, and, and he makes an impact as we pour forgiveness into people's lives because we've known the forgiveness of Jesus. Epaphras was the founder of the church of Colossae. Paul calls him also a, a faithful minister, a fellow worker, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you would stand mature and assured in all the will of God. Epaphras is praying persistently. He's praying purposefully. He's praying faithfully. What if our prayers were shaped more by this kind of focus that we are struggling on behalf of each other? that we would be crying out in prayer to God, oh Lord, help him, help her grow up into your will and, and a full assurance into maturity. Help them grow into everything you intend them to be, Jesus. That's what making an impact through partnership looks like. And then just two more real quickly. Luke is a educated professional who uses his skills and talents for kingdom purposes. We could call him the first medical missionary because he's a doctor and his training and skills open doors of ministry for him around the Roman world. And, and through his advanced education, God inspired the writing of some of the most eloquent Greek in the New Testament. But Paul also says, greet Nympha and the church in her house. Hey, Nympha, are you a doctor? No, no. Can you do missionary work around the world? No. No, but I have a home. I have a home. And, and God, you could use that. You could use my gifts. You could use my possessions. You could use my opportunities. You could use where I am in my neighborhood to make a difference for you. God, because it's not my home. It's, they're not my gifts. It's not my education. It's not my money. They're not my resources. It's for you. And I want to use them to partner with others to make an impact for Jesus. So whether you're an educated professional or you don't have a degree to your name, we're partnering together to be on mission for Jesus. A dear sister in Christ shared this recently. When we get off mission and out of focus, we go out of bounds. When we get off mission and out of focus, we go out of bounds. But that suggests the opposite is also true for us. When we stay on mission and in focus, God can make a glorious impact through us. Amelia and I were so blessed a few months ago to be part of a short-term team uh, that went to serve at ABTS in Lebanon. And, and in preparing for that trip, we went through training. We had to devote ourselves to prayer. We spent time studying God's word. We studied the culture that we were going to be into. We wanted to understand the people that we were going to be around and, and the brothers and sisters that we would be partnering with. That focus, that investment, doing it as part of a team, that's what made the experience meaningful and impactful. And the reality is that's true for all of us. We are all on mission for Jesus. We are his ambassadors wherever he has us. We are called to be living mission-centered lives for Christ in all the places that he puts us. Because what we do to prepare for a mission trip is what we ought to be doing all the time, praying and studying 
and looking for opportunities, making the most of them, and being wise in how we speak because we're on mission for God's purposes to make an impact for Jesus. Paul calls these Colossians, he calls us to lives of impact and purpose for what ultimately matters. Because the reality is, most of us are not going to leave our home and go to other nations. But God has placed us in families and in jobs and schools and neighborhoods to be lights there for Christ. And when we do that, when we live for Jesus' purposes, our lives will have impact for the glory of Christ. It may be true of us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this reminder, this encouragement, this challenge from your word, not just today, but over these last weeks. Oh, Father, would you open our eyes all the more to see the glory, the surpassing beauty and goodness and power and wisdom and treasure that we have in Jesus. That, Father, we would be changed and that we would live for your purposes so that we would live for what matters and we really would have an impact for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.